Hello, hello. My name is Jordan and I'm your host. And I'm Insha, the co-host. And I'm really excited because today we're joined by Rocky Callan and she's the amazing author of the amazing book, A Breath Too Late. And I'm super excited to talk to her and, you know, really happy she's here. Hi. Hi, Rocky. Do you want to go ahead and like, you know, talk about yourself or your book, whatever. Just like give a brief introduction. Thank you both. Thank you both so much for having me. I felt super honored you reached out to me, Jordan, and it was so wonderful to meet both of you virtually, hopefully one day in person. I, like Insha was saying, am the author of A Breath Too Late. I was a behavioral coach for over a decade. Um, I started doing my own political advocacy when I was a preteen. And I've also struggled with my own mental health for many, many years. And it was my own journey with mental health that inspired writing A Breath Too Late. And it really is my mission to use the arts to raise awareness for mental health and suicide prevention. And in that vein, I also founded an organization called Hold On To Hope and it unites artists and creatives in suicide prevention. That is amazing. Absolutely amazing. I'm so inspired. <laughs> so kind. Right <laughs> Literally icon. We love <laughs> So uh, with that being said, we will be discussing a lot of topics surrounding Rocky Callan and all about a breath too late. And lastly, we'll be covering some future goals she has in mind in regards to mental health and writing. So we're super excited to interview her and we're happy to have her on this podcast episode. And this is Forever Blooming. So as you guys know, we always start our episodes with a rose storm bud just to catch up and see what's going on with our host and our guest. So if you don't know, a ro our rose storm bud is basically describing our rose, which is a highlight, success, small win, or something positive that happened today or with the within the last week and then a thorn is a challenge you experienced or something you can use more support with and lastly a bud are some new ideas that have blossomed or or something that you have looking forward to knowing more about or experiencing so i guess i will open the stage with yeah. my rose thorn bud uh, if you guys don't mind <laughs> well, let's go ahead <laughs> my rose this week has definitely got to be meeting Rocky because you know as a writer myself and as a person who absolutely loved this book it's one of my favorite favorite books um, it's just such a joy to have her here and be able to share her book with y'all and share her voice on this podcast so definitely excited about that um, a thorn would probably be that I am struggling in one of my classes but we're not going to talk too much about that because <laughs> I am getting a tutor and everything is going to work out fine. But um, that has been something that's been challenging for me. And a bud, um, some new ideas. I've had so many new ideas to expand our organization just to reach all areas of advocacy. Um, just a sneak peek. We will have a news, mental health news station uh, for you guys to tune in. So I'm super excited to release more details about that at a later date. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, 
and I, I remember Jordan mentioning that her uh, A Breath Too Late was her favorite book in the fun facts as well. Yes. And I, and like, I could definitely see it's like a hap- the happiest day of her life right now. <laughs> so we'll save the best for the last. I do you mind me going after of Jordan? Of course, of course. You can go. <clears throat> yeah. So a rose would probably be again meeting you. It's an honor to meet you. You both are so kind. Um, I just ordered your book, by the way. I just told you last time. It's coming today. So. Yay. Yay. <laughs> excited to read it and I'm also going to London for like a month Ooh. so that's also nice um, so cool and Thorn would probably be to like manage all the stuff because I'm also traveling but I also have my exams and there's a lot of stuff and I'm going to a different time frame zone whatever mm-hmm. so it's going to be like really difficult to manage and a bud would be I'm looking forward to my exam so I could get it over with so I don't have it you know to worry about every anything and I yeah totally just to that. basically this episode I'm looking forward to and you both are so kind <laughs> <laughs> I wish people could see my facial expressions because I'm trying to hold back my voice <laughs> <laughs> but my face shows my excitement Um, It was such a joy to meet you all last weekend and I've been talking about just how phenomenal I think both of you are and how amazing this project is. So I am so excited to be here. That's so nice. And for mine, I would say my rose is absolutely on Friday, um, September 10th, World Suicide Prevention Day. My project launched a virtual international art exhibition for mental health. And, oh yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> and it went so well. We have artists from Malaysia, from India, from London, from the US, from the Philippines, from South Africa, from Kenya. And so it's just this fabulous collective. And I, it's been a long-standing dream to do that. And so that milestone was such a wonderful one. Um, in terms of a thorn, I I was going to say I hurt my foot playing soccer right before this. So that was one thing. Oh. But <laughs> the other one is I think that I really want to figure out how to be more present in an impactful way online. And sometimes I feel overwhelmed by that or anxious by that. I get that. But I feel like doing things like this and hopefully finding other opportunities that it's just going to, it's going to build momentum. So it's a thorn, but it will change. Like you were saying with your exams, like it's a thorn right now, but we're going to turn it around. (laughs) Right. Um, And then (laughs) with the rosebud, I got a secret news that it's not official, but there might be another Rocky book in the works. (gasps) But I don't know yet, so please send good vibes. I don't even think that I'll know by the time this airs, but... (laughs) I wish you could see Jordan's face. I'm really excited for it, and so I'm really hopeful. Um, So we'll see. We'll see if that rose up blooms. Oh my god, I cannot wait for... I love that for you, first of all. I hope it does. (laughs) If you do release a new book, I know it's up in the air right now, but I will be your number one fan, number one supporter. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be endorsing it. Oh, you're so awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you guys for sharing um, your Rose Storm Bud. It was great hearing your exciting news, and just, I hope you guys overcome overcome your thorn especially with uh, exams and traveling and managing things and especially with that sort of intimidating social media platform I totally understand that so yeah I will jump right into 
all about Rocky Callen. What are you all about? Let's find out. <laughs> um, yes. I I'm here for it. <laughs> I do want to say, um, just a disclaimer for our listeners, really quick. This episode does contain deep topics such as suicidal ideation and abuse. So please listen with caution. If you are not in a right mind or right space of mind, please click out of this episode. Maybe listen later if you want to, but just take care of yourself. And just for those who don't know or haven't read A Breath Too Late, you should definitely read it, but just a brief summary of the book. Here's a little blurb. Um, 17-year-old Ellie had no hope left, yet the day after she dies by suicide, she finds herself in the midst of an out-of-body experience. She is a spectator swaying between past and present, retracing the events that unfolded prior to her death, but there are gaps in her memory fractured pieces Ellie is desperate to reassemble. There's her mother, a songbird who wanted to break free from her oppressive cage. The boy made of brushstrokes and goofy smiles who brought color into a gray world. Her brooding father with his sad puppy eyes and clenched fists. And Ellie's determined to find out why a piece of her was left behind, told in a epistolary <laughs> I actually don't know how to pronounce that <laughs> epistolary lifestyle Rocky Callan's deeply moving a breath too late sensitively sensitive wow words examines the beautiful and terrible moments that make up a life and the possibilities that live in even the darkest of places and if that does not oh make God, you want to is... read it like yeah. <laughs> It's coming in today and I'm going to be more excited for it because that was phenomenal. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. So we do want to just open the floor to Rocky with our first question. When did you first start writing? You know, I don't remember a time when I wasn't writing. You know, I think that when I was like elementary school, I made little books. Um, I remember one of my earliest little books was... um, about a girl who could sing and that her singing healed people and I actually think it's really sweet because my sister is a musician and she's also very much into um, advocacy and body positivity and she has her own things that she runs so I feel like I was imagining her before I knew her (laughs) Um, but yeah it's always been a part of my life and I was so passionate about it especially as a preteen and then I you know I don't know how let me see (laughs) Uh, I was about to say how much I should go into this but I think it's good especially for your teen listeners and for the young people that listen to this so I was really passionate about writing I thought I wanted to be a writer very early and then I remember I was always like the nerdy girl like mm-hmm. books on books on books carried them everywhere mm-hmm. and I remember sitting <laughs> in <laughs> and I remember sitting in the car with like reading, you know, one of my many books propped up in my lap and the driver said, you need to stop. You're just so, like stop being such a geek. What? And then he took the book from my hand and threw it out the window. What? And I stopped writing. And it became this very much like secret desire, secret dream, something I only told certain people 
but I threw myself into all of these other things that I also am really passionate about, but I let go of that writing dream until I was pregnant with my daughter in my early 20s. And I found some of the old character sketches that I wrote when I was 12 years old. And I sat there on the carpet with my big pregnant belly looking at these dreams from my younger self and I thought if I want my daughter to live her dreams then it's time for me to start living mine and I started writing again. Um, and so I, I just wanted to, I want to share that because I feel like if like Jordan, you were saying you're a writer, and so many people that listen to this, I'm sure are writers too, like have that creative thing, or whatever that dream is inside of you, there are going to be people that don't understand it, or there are going to be people that are going to try to derail you, and it is up to you to decide that you are worthy of any dream that you claim. And I learned that because even after I started writing in my early 20s, there were plenty of people that stood against me who didn't get it. But it was for the first time I realized that I cared about me more. And so that's just a lesson that I wish I had learned earlier. Yeah. So that's something I wanted to share yeah, with you. Societal people. news can definitely, you know, oppress you or just make you believe that that's not what your, your worth is. But it's again your belief and your faith that you have in yourself that ultimately matters the most. So go yeah, out absolutely. there and do absolutely. what you want. Don't care about anyone else. And that's definitely so relatable and I'm so inspired. That's a very amazing story. And you know, for like following the writing path, um, would you say that writing is a hobby, a passion, or a job? Yes, I think that's such a great question because I think it's very nuanced. And for me, it's always been a passion, and now it's a job. <laughs> it's a passion and a job. And you know, I feel like part of that distinction is passion because it felt urgent, it felt necessary, it felt like denying it was denying a part of myself. I think that's something that we should identify for ourselves. And then also, I always wrote with the intention that it would lead to something. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I don't, I've never designated it as a hobby for myself. Um, I always knew it would lead me somewhere. And then with the job part now, you know, there's such beautiful things about being a full-time writer. Um, but there is, there is like the grind of it. There is the, the monotony of it. There is the waiting of it. Like <laughs> <laughs> the publishing is, is like this wonderful lesson of infinite patience. Um, so yeah, it's a passion first and foremost, but now it's also a job, but I, is a job that I wouldn't trade for the world. Mm -hmm. Aww. I love amazing. that. Honestly, as a writer, I kind of, well, as a writer and an artist, I kind of always um, was afraid to put my passions as jobs because the first thing my mother told me was that if you if you do something as a job, then it's going to become monotonous and boring. And I've always been scared that my passion of art for art and writing would just dwindle because if I make my career as an artist and a writer, that I just live a horrible life and stop liking art. What's your opinion on that? Oh, it's such a it's such a great thing to unpack. So, I think in a lot of ways, it's true. If you fall and I, you know, I've definitely seen this with some of my author friends. They fall into it and it becomes only a job and it's no longer a passion. And I saw myself 
do that for a few months last year because it was a pretty disheartening year as we all know um but for debuting that year you know so many of these things that you really had high hopes for um got diminished or changed but then as i was coming out of 2020 i realized that i just am not available to live without passion mm -hmm. and so it started to become about less what my next book deal is going to be or what who i need to impress or who am i disappointing like all those things that um make like sort of drain something of the passion is to say what story do i want to tell and by changing it, by always centering what your experience of it is, I feel like reinvigorates the passion because you're going to constantly, if it is your job, you'll have to constantly reinvigorate it. It's like marriage where it's like you have to put yourself up to fall in love and sustain that love over and over again. And so being radically present and intentional is the only way to do that. However, is also perfectly good and fine and awesome if you choose it not to be a job because it's true so many people do lose that sense of of joy mm -hmm. and yet when they make it when it's not part of like their career path it's something that is more like secret or off to the side or you know their their nightly routine or whatever <laughs> that they're able to hold on to that. So it's really about being self-aware and then following through with that self-awareness. Because the biggest thing is self-awareness is awesome, <laughs> but it's following through on that self-awareness yeah. that really makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, I act and I'm also an artist like everyone present here. Awesome. But like I always have this sort of fear at the back of my mind that my mother also says that it's not like, you know, you can't just flourish at a job when you begin a job. And I, I'm, I, I don't understand why she's saying it as a job. I don't think it's a job, but I somehow fear that may it may become a job and I might not want to be in that sort, sort of space. So, I mean, right. I'm getting some good tips here. <laughs> I also think um, another thing on this, this is for anybody, um, whether you're 16 trying to figure out what you want to do next or you're 57 and you're reinventing your life. It, it happens every um, we reevaluate what we want. But the other thing is when you're talk like you're talking about following through on that creative career and then maybe not wanting it to be the career, that space, it's really important to know that it does take a lot of work to make it the career. And if you just want it to be a source of solely pleasure, then that's a different that's a different route and that's okay. And um, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to perform and Absolutely. we get to choose if, if we want to do that. That was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. That just touched my soul for a little second. <laughs> um, just to sort of re-navigate the conversation, even though that was amazing, I do want to ask more about um, yourself and A Breath Too Late. How did your background in mental health affect your choice to write A Breath Too Late, if any? So much, so much. So I wrote the first page of A Breath Too Late um, and shared it on World Suicide Prevention Day back in 2013. And it was, you know, once people read that first page, it's the moment after that Elias died. And I wrote it because there have been so many of those 
Like if I had just made a slightly different decision in the moment, that would have been, that would have been mm -hmm. my, the end of my life. And that would have been the reality of my existence. And so I wrote that first page because I wanted the reminder that all of the times that I chose differently mattered. And then someone online said, oh, is this going to be your novel? And I said, no. <laughs> it's, it's, it just seems so raw. And it was, I was at that point not talking as much about mental health publicly or my own. In fact, um, my mental health in many ways was even kept secret. Not kept secret because I don't want it to sound like I was being deceitful. It was more of, I was so used to keeping it compartmentalized and silenced and non-visible that people didn't see it. And so even my husband didn't understand the full scope of my mental health issues. Right. And, um, and so I started writing because then there just became this urgency around it. Like there is something here that matters. There is something here that I need to say. And as I wrote it, I wrote the first draft in just over a week and I was sobbing every single day and it was sobbing for Ellie and I was sobbing for her mother, but I was also sobbing for my mother who went through so much of the same. And I was sobbing for the little girl I was who never told people that I was constantly contemplating ending my life or, you know, even thinking about the year before when I thought of that. like. It is so shrouded in shame and silence and stigma. And that's the very thing that keeps us from collective healing, from collective awareness, from collective radical change. Like mental health, suicide prevention is not just sharing hotlines. It's about healthcare. Mm -hmm. It is about education. It is about making sure people have their basic human needs met. And so for all of those conversations to happen, we need to talk about it. And so I wrote and I wrote very much with the desire or with the feeling that if this could save one life, then that is all it needed to do. And it's a hard book to read and it was a hard book to write, but my own mental health struggle made me realize that it was necessary because I didn't want other people to feel alone. I didn't want other people to feel like their life didn't matter because there had been so many moments of my own life that I thought that. And now looking back, I can see with perspective, with time, how much life I have been able to live because I decided that tomorrow was worth fighting for. And that's really what the message of the book is. It's a hard, you know, tragic, sad, terrible book in so many ways, and I recognize that. Mm -hmm. But it's also about hope. It's also about how no matter what you're going through, that it can be temporary and that what you desire most can be just around the corner. So hold on for it. It will be, you know, a lot of authors, when we talk, we talk about, you know, your first book is not you know, it's just your first book and then you're going to write, you know, 10 more books and then you're just going to focus on whatever book you come out, you know, next with. And I do hope to have a career where I release lots of books and I could even write better books. But this book 
will always be the centerpiece of not only who I am, but what I want to say in the world. And so, you know, I'd probably be 60 years old still talking about this book just because it meant so much to me and my healing and my self-awareness, like it actually writing it. And this is something for creatives, just writing it, it unlocked memories that I had hid from myself. And that was part of the tears. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it was an experience of writing from the deep end. And I think a lot of times we're scared to write from that really raw and vulnerable place or create or act from that place. And yet that's the most transformative space we can exist in. And so safely allowing ourselves to be there is really important. Yeah, and you basically talked about collective healing and I feel like that's really important in our world today where mental health is so stigmatized that uh, people are anxious, people are depressed just because they don't want to talk about it to the world. Because I, I guess the world will be so much better a better space in terms of mental health if we just talked about it if we ensured that you know they're in a correct mental space they're cared for the people are also going through the same things as you um and your book is definitely the way to go because it you know it talks about your experiences as such in terms of ellie which people can sort of relate to and that leads me to my next question which basically is as the daughter of an ecuadorian immigrant would you say that mental health has been stigmatized in your own community, which maybe led you to believe that something is not worth talking about as such? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something I'm really passionate about in terms of opening up these conversations to um, Latino communities and beyond and immigrant communities in particular, because there's this strong sense of, you know, get over it. You know, if you're feeling something yeah. and it's messy and it's raw and it's uncomfortable, this is the big part of it. If it's uncomfortable to the people around you, they don't want to see it. And mm -hmm. there's this big sense of, you know, being strong and being a force and being, you know, um, also the whole idea of labor and work and, you know, the day-to-day -day grind and providing for your family, like all of those things can be so damaging for our mental health because we feel like we only are here to perform and to do labor. You know, I saw that with my family, but like I, I mentioned this to you both last week, my father, you know, is in his fifties and mm -hmm. he read my book and he talked to me about the fact that we had an uncle who was institutionalized in Ecuador because no one knew what to do and no one wanted to see it. And he never talked to his mother until these decades later. And I think that's just such a, an indicator of how much we hide um, because it's uncomfortable and so I feel like this is really it's such an important it's such an important issue to bring up with our communities because you know I feel if I recall correctly it's one in three Latina teenagers who contemplate suicide and mm -hmm. part of that is they don't know who to talk to about it like the whole idea of getting a therapist or getting medication or talking openly about difficult issues or traumatic issues as a family can really be overlooked. And I do see some of that changing and I do see people doing really important work around it, but it's something we have to continue. 
Yeah, the fear of being judged or you know being treated differently just because you're going through a certain problem definitely can affect the idea that they have mental health, and that's like a follow-up that I have. How did the how did your perspective as a minority affect your relationship or view of mental health within the community or just in general idea of human? You know, I I think if you'd asked me this ten years ago, I would have given an answer. But my my answer to that right now is that there's a <laughs> I was gonna curse. There's a lot of work to do. <laughs> there's a lot of work to do, and you know I see things that mental health related. We always have to talk about the intersectionality of who we are in relationship to our mental health. So you can be an immigrant. You can be of a certain skin color. You can be of a certain you know, past, you can be of a certain gender identity or sexual orientation. Like all these pieces have to be considered as you're looking at what your mental health is. And for me, like I've known family members deported. I've known what it was like to be waiting on the other side and not knowing if someone would make it. I know what it's like to for 10 years look at or try to fight for my um, grandmother to be able to come here. I know what it's like to fear when raids came through our neighborhoods. I know what it's like when um, someone you know has been raped by a police officer and they're too scared to report it because of their documentation. Like these are things that we don't need. Like. These are things that people do not see as the mainstream collective, but that people within the community, within an immigrant community, a Latinx community, within a documented or undocumented community, it brings to the table so many nuances and those nuances need to be addressed. And there's so much more I want to say on that. And part of it is for just safety of, of family. You know, I don't, I can't go into it all the way, but mm-hmm. it's so important. It's so important that we look at our personal experience and the nuances of that and find people who will support us in one, getting the best mental health services, treatment, you know, whatever we need to move through and be happy and healthy and thriving humans, but also to remember that that belongs to the community and it's our job to bring it there. Yeah, definitely. I absolutely love that answer, honestly. Um, I love that you especially focus on the intersectionality of it all because, of course, me yeah. and Incha, as people of color, we definitely understand that sort of... Um, different perspectives on mental health. Different perspectives, of course. And just being able to acknowledge that mental health isn't white and men- people experience mental health differently is definitely something we want to amplify. So I really appreciate you. It's, it's just talking a little bit more about that. and especially addressing how common suicide is because nearly 8,000 people die by suicide in the world each year which is roughly one death every 40 seconds which is just absolutely traumatizing when you think about it and suicide is the second leading cause of death in the world for those aged 15 to 24 years old and depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide and when you really look at those statistics and feel it in your soul, it just, it's Hard sad, so much, especially yeah. as something, yeah, especially as somebody who 
has experienced those sort of thoughts and emotions. It's traumatizing. And the fact that people are so young thinking about it and they can't speak up because they fear things, that just honestly makes it sad, even more sad, Absolutely. if I'm being honest. Yes, it is terrifying and tragic and heartbreaking just thinking about it. Absolutely. So I did want to jump in a little bit about more about um, A Breath Too Late because, you know, that does center a lot around suicide ideation and abusive uh, relationships. I wonder what did this book mean to you before, during and after A Breath Too Late was published? <sighs> it was my heart, honestly. It just was the <laughs> it was the whole of it and it was like I mentioned it was really hard to write it was very emotional to write it was very raw and messy to write but there was never a moment where I didn't feel like somehow it mattered and you know I wrote the first page in 2013 it published in 2020 during a pandemic <laughs> and you know now right. we are what um, you know almost a year and a half you know from from when it yeah. last published. And so I, there was a part of me a few months after it released where I thought, well, I tried that and now it's on to the next thing. But then, like I said, I feel like that intentionality is centerpiece, is, is so important. And I knew that, no, my whole mission in life and in the world is to make sure that fellow humans feel loved and seen and that their life matters and it is worth fighting for. That is why I'm on this planet. I'm <laughs> to me that's all that like for me and the work that I want to do in the world, it's everything. And so this book for me is everything. And I think that my experience writing it was cathartic and healing and necessary for me. Preparing it to be out in the world was also like grappling with the idea of me being seen for these things mm -hmm. and me sort of stepping into my own leadership or my own mission. And then it being published, it was a matter of recommitting to that mission and also to know that, and I think it's really important for my, my creatives that I'm sitting with right now, um, <laughs> is to know that every bit of art you make matters. If no one sees it, or if everyone sees it, it matters because it should matter to you. And that's what I came to terms with this book, is that it matters to me. And it is a piece of art. And I am proud of having created it. And I feel like it has contributed to my own sense of self and why I'm here. And I think that very often when we create art, we'll be blindsided by these moments or these realizations that, oh, this, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm meant to do, even if it's just for right now. And so I think that the best, most beautiful thing for all of us to do is to continue to create art. And that can be a hobby, a passion, a job, whatever it is for you. And it can be any kind of art, you know, you even, people even just showing up and doing TikTok videos. This is a form of art, it's storytelling so often. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's like to recognize that life is art. We are art and our existence contributes to the artistry of the world. And we just need to, I, I said this in my journal, I said, how would I feel if I held everything in my life as if it were art? 
Or how would I look at everything in life as if it were art? And I, my response was with reverence and awe. And I think that that's what we all deserve. Like I'm in reverence and awe of Jordan. I am in reverence and awe of Insha. I am in reverence and awe of any person that listens to this and is out there doing their thing. Like, yes. And I think that this is a really long-winded response to this, but I feel like we got to get out there. We have to create our art and we have to do what makes us happy. And the more we do that, the more it gives other people permission to do the same. Yes. And you just talked about, you know, how you um, struggled to write it because there was so much emotional, um, because there was so much emotion, you have to recall your experiences. And um, that is honestly amazing because that just, you have to have personal belief that it doesn't matter what other people think about a certain book, um, a form of art if it's your personal belief that ultimately matters because it's your art even if it makes a difference in the world or not it, it makes a difference to you like you just mentioned that was beautiful so let's move on to the next question which basically is did you ever have any doubts or regrets regarding writing dark themes such as suicide ideation and abuse into your book even though it was a difficult topic to talk about you know even collectively um, people struggle with mental health and to put it out in words, put your experience out in words, was it really difficult or did you ever regret it? I've never regretted it. I have braced myself for backlash because I think that just like people don't want to talk about suicide, they also don't want to see suicide on their screens or in their books. You know, a yeah. lot of times these books, you know, that grapple with these dark and, and difficult themes are banned. So I was, I braced myself for it. I remember even talking to a fellow student at an MFA program. They didn't know what my book was about and they just said, I would never write a book about suicide. And I was like, ah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and, so, and so I think I braced myself for it. But I mean, I'm very grateful for the readers I've had that have related to the book and have uplifted it and have felt like it mattered to them. And I'm grateful to say that I've never regretted it. Yeah. Can I just say, Definitely. it's kind of weird that, um, like, when I mention, when people ask me, what's what's your favorite book? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I've read too late. And they're like, oh, I've never heard of that. What's it about? Well, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yeah, because with, with writing, with being an artist, you are obviously going to face backlash because, you know, not everyone is going to like your work or just even themes like this. So, like you said, brace yourselves for whatever comes next. You have to be mentally prepared. Even if your book is about not being mentally prepared, you have to sort of, you <laughs> <Absolutely>. know, <laughs> go through Armor the challenge. Up. It's part of the process. <laughs> yes. We're all ready definitely. to go to war. <laughs> Yes. Well, with that being said, I did want to ask this last question surrounding Breath Too Late because I know we are teenagers and we love teen advocacy and just sharing our voice yeah. as a diverse voice and as minorities, as mentioned before. Why did you specifically decide to make Ellie a teenager and how do you think this choice affected how this book was written? Yes, there was there were some people who thought that it might be better as an adult book, for sure. Mm -hmm. But I did not want to dismiss, one, the reality that I started my struggle with suicidal ideation as a preteen, as a young person. Mm -hmm. 
And I know that so many young people out there are struggling with the same, and I don't want to diminish the complexity and the bigness of that pain. I think that so often, especially adults, and I was just telling my husband this last week, it's like, I want to talk to teens much more often. Um, especially adults, you know, there's this idea of wanting to protect teens, but then they forget that teens are the ones living those experiences. Mm -hmm. And I wanted Ellie to be a young person who is really at the start of her life and that there was so much life ahead of her. And I think mm -hmm. that as a teenager, for me, I actually wrote letters myself to sort of keep me here, to keep me grounded, to keep me present and uh, I think that just Ellie was always a teenager to me her voice was always a teenager to me because there is so much pain that young people grapple with and I don't think they get enough credit for the work they do to work through their own trauma and they also don't have because they're in you know a lot of times in in family dynamics or in um, social dynamics that can try to rob them of their own agency and young people are the most powerful people on the planet and Aww. if they're given if they're given this message that no matter what you're going through you've got this hold on then just the trajectory of civilization would be so much more incredible I mean, right now, who do we see as some of the most powerful advocates and, and activists out there? It's young people because they're, they're not clouded by cynicism and they're not clouded by, you know, what, also, what you know, the world says you're supposed to operate in a certain way. Young people say, no, it has operated this way and we're not available for that anymore. And it's time to change. And I'm just, in reverence and awe of young people. <laughs> and so I wrote this story because I really believe in young people and I want them to believe in themselves. And so it's both an, it's both a love letter to any young person struggling, just like Ellie is, but it's also like an ode to their own power that you've got this. There are big and bright things ahead of you. Keep going. Yeah. And the view, like, and the idea of mental health amongst teens is very different from um, the idea that, you know, adults Absolutely. have. So adults have a lot of things to worry, their family, their, you know, money. But teens, and they always think that what would teens have to worry about because we're the ones making money, we're the ones struggling for it. And that honestly is the saddest thing ever because teens have their own changes they go through and their own traumas. and. Sometimes it's much more than making money and, you know, holding a family together. It's much more deeper, much more traumatizing and, you know, it just, it's most, you have to struggle a lot with what you have at that point. And I feel like that's really important that teens do speak up and, you know, step out of that societal box of the idea of mental health because um, the impression that adults have on teens is just, you have to be in a box and you have to just live in a box. and. If you step out of it, that's not the correct thing to do mm -hmm. and that definitely impacts their idea of mental health. I agree. And we hope that, you know, this idea becomes evolved and better in the coming years and, you know, teen activists rising up and more 
with this topic being more talked about so yeah so now we're going to progress into the topic 3 that means our last segment i'm not ready for this one because i can't because i want to hear you talk more it's like really amazing <laughs> but <laughs> so lovely <laughs> but like uh, what sort of goals we have and you know in the future of our future in terms of writing how about mental health advocacy like because you know we're progressing into the future happy yes. future yes <laughs> i'm really want to create this is my big dream is to create a massive community but that feels very intimate that feels like family that includes young people mm-hmm. at its forefront that i can not only uplift their art in terms of mental health but their voices and i just i really want that that we're all educated on how to be the best activists activists and advocates for our communities for the topics and issues we love most or that are most important to us but also for ourselves there's so much there that i would love to unpack maybe one day i will because <laughs> being an advocate for yourself is absolutely necessary and i think that we don't talk about that often enough i feel like also if we are able to create the happiest healthiest most thriving life for ourselves that creates a ripple effect mm-hmm. and so being intentional with how we care for ourselves our bodies our minds and knowing that they are connected can also signal to other people like model what that journey can look like is incredible incredible thing to do but i just want i want these conversations on the biggest stages i want these conversations in the mainstream i want these conversations really talked about not with like kid gloves on i want us to go yeah. all in on it yeah. i want us to go all in on it on how we need mental health and healthcare reform i want to talk about how communities need to be supported and have their basic needs met i want to have that there's access for people to get what they need in terms of their mental health all of these things are related to suicide prevention and i want to be part of those conversations or i want to be able to bring people from the community that is built from a breath too late or hold on to hope to the forefront to say they have something incredible to say listen to them and so i'm hopeful i'm hopeful that this book and this the hold on to hope project really gives birth to a beautiful community that feels like family that feels like we are here for each other and that as a collective we can be a, a beautiful voice of hope and of collective healing and of collective agency and i think through that i will stand there in reverence and awe yeah that's why i think teen activism and advocacy is so important because when people tell that i am i am i'm an advocate or i'm an activist usually old people or just sometimes people their age are like oh you're an activist like you've got nothing to do better with <laughs> your life than being an activist but i feel like everyone should be an activist not just because they want to you know um, talk about mental health more just because it just gives them a sort of belief or you know power that yes they have the power to change the world they have the power to change themselves as such so i think it's important for everyone to be an activist at some point in their life and not be like oh you're an activist you're probably just the freak kid in school who nobody talks to right. so you're just like you know so this needs to change definitely and 
Yeah. I want to say too, really quickly, um, you were talking about how adults often tell young people, you know, here's the box, this is where mm -hmm. you belong. And I just want to be someone that tells other young people, tells young people, break the box. Yeah. That box Absolutely is smash a, it. a result <laughs> of their conditioning, of their generational trauma, of their fears that have been just descended upon, you know, from generation to generation. They may not have exposure to something different or something better, but you do. And if you know what you want, break the box. Yeah. And then once you've done it, once you've done your thing, this has been something that I've said so often. It's like, I, I proved you wrong. And it's... Yeah, you know, see the world change around you yeah. if you make, break the box. That is amazing. And it's really important. That's what advocacy and activism does to you. It not only allows you to uh, talk about, you know, societal issues, but it also allows you to break the box and, you know, um, step out of the boundaries that the society has set upon us. So that is amazing. So lastly, if you were given the opportunity, would you turn A Breath Too Late into a show or a movie adaptation? Yes. <laughs> so funny that you guys ask this because I'm nobody's waiting for it. This is not like a signal of anything to come. But I'm waiting um, for it. To, to, to like distract myself creatively, I'm actually writing the screenplay adaptation of a breath too late no. oh, it's terrible it's awful like I but i absolutely envision it as a movie and i i had a reviewer also mention that they would love to see it as a play which would be incredible but i want to see it as a movie because one i see it in my head very cinematically but also it's about the message it's about the message and you know books hit a certain a certain readership and movies hit another and so yeah. it's really for me just about getting it to as broad a viewership a readership a collective as possible and so I think movies are a beautiful way to do that they're so accessible right we want to eliminate yeah. barriers to messages we want to bring to the world and so that is something um, and I probably will be different from the book but as long as the heart of it is intact then I will be happy yeah, because media is so powerful because not a lot of people read but everyone like watches movies or shows and to like put a book into life that is just makes it that again makes it more cinematic and relatable and you know you can actually see it for yourself and actually like oh that this is what the book is about, you know, put it all together. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Love, first of all, I love that you were already thinking like ahead of me, like a screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did have a little follow up question to that though. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, what was it called? 13 Reasons Why. Have you seen that show? I haven't, but I've yeah, heard a lot nothing. about it. Yeah, so I watched the Good whole show. thing and kind of hated its portrayal of mental health as a whole. Um, I'm not sure if you just said you thought it was a good show, Insha? No, actually, I thought it was a good show because, I, I mean, not a lot of shows talk about mental health. So in that yeah. terms, it was a good show, uh, the first season. <laughs> but, it, yeah, its idea of teen mental health as being, like, you know, as portrayed as if it's, again, it, it was pretty stigmatized, to be honest. Yeah. It was like, you know, teen struggle or, or uh, its portrayal of teenage is sort of unrealistic yeah yeah 
but the facts but the soul uh, with the soul fact that it talks about mental health is actually is an achievement on its own but yeah the way it's portrayed it's not the most you know amazing yeah. or the most yeah like <laughs> exciting or realistic way to approach mental health it's so funny because i haven't read the book and i haven't watched the show um mm-hmm. but there was a person on Instagram who was very much a lover of a breath too late and very much not a lover of their teen reasons why and went yeah. point by point around why <laughs> and you know it's very grateful very grateful for that kindness you know that she was she was giving to me in terms of uplifting a breath too late mm-hmm. and i think that some things um you know open up conversations and they might not always do it right um mm-hmm. but they are a step and i think my my agent when she was pitching my book actually presented it as what we wished um 13 reasons why mm-hmm. actually was you know and it was about creating yeah. intimacy and authenticity around mental health um And I also, you know, this is a conversation I like I said there's so many wonderful books out there, wonderful movies out there. Um but one of my biggest intentions with Breath was I didn't want someone's suicide to be this educator for someone else. I wanted it to be about the person struggling. And I think that that's a harder space to occupy sometimes. Uh, it's a harder place to, you know, read about. But for me it was really important and I wanted to humanize the struggle and in the difficulty there. And I think that I respect all art that breaches the conversations. Um but I know that with this book, especially with my incredible editors, that we really wanted to try to do it as well as we could in terms of sensitively talking about the issues and so i'm grateful for the team that helped me do that yeah i mean um you know talking about a issue or a book or a movie collectively referring to the media that somehow becomes unrealistic and you know the stigma steps in but an individualistic idea or an individualistic struggle somehow appears to be more relatable unrealistic so that i think where 13 reason why lack because yeah. it couldn't relate to the general public and you know how teens generally go to the through mental health struggles. Well, I also want to add that your team and you absolutely did an amazing idea or a job at mm-hmm. trying to make it more personal and individual. So, um Thanks. that's why I liked about a breath to let you compare to their new reasons why. <laughs> um <laughs> I would love to see the movie or the play. Right, exactly. <laughs> But I did want to ask this one one last question, unfortunately the last. Um uh what advice would you give to fellow writers like me and those who want to be published? Oh man, there's so much. There's so much. I think part <laughs> of it is believe in your art and believe in yourself and show up for it. I think that that carried and carries me. Um I also think that consume art. You know, con- look for your favorite writers. Like be on a quest to find the people whose lives inspire you and that keep you grounded in the idea that this is possible for me too. Like that was one of my biggest things that I did all the time. I looked for 
the stories that seem like this would never be possible for them and yet it was and yet they made it happen for me that felt especially because I was around um, so many that really didn't understand what I was trying to do that anchored me and so believe in your art consume art wherever you can respect art and create it create it create it and create it and no sometimes it's gonna be a sloppy mess and no one will ever see it and that's okay your process of just doing that might land you on the best idea and so just the act of doing the thing is going to get you somewhere and I think so often we're we're perfectionistic we want it to do it right we want to do it the best but no you just got to do it and the more you do it the stronger you're going to become in your own sense of voice and people will begin to notice and then whatever you face do not be disheartened mm -hmm. and that just goes back to the belief in yourself because you will face obstacles you will face barriers there will be seasons of your life that are more difficult than others but if something makes you happy and something is a real passion of yours never forget it i have a teeny tiny short question though um, so does authenticity play a role in writing because I feel like somehow you have to like think about th you have to you know as a writer you have to go in other people's mind as well and you know write what appeals to them so do you feel authenticity is the ultimate thing that you should hold on to while writing you know being authentic or just to share your personal story as such? I think that you should never fear being vulnerable being vulnerable is being brave and so that authenticity is born from vulnerability and also when you're you're writing other characters or writing other experiences you need to go all in and make sure that you are portraying them in the best ways possible in the most authentic ways possible i think this is very important um but i think that for ourselves you, even with writing even with acting like think about inhabiting a character right you have to be so present to the reality that that character is going through you have to like leave your armor at the door and say i'm here i'm going to tell your story and i think that's the biggest thing is being vulnerable and being willing that was beautiful everything about this conversation has been beautiful <laughs> I'm sorry. thank you both this has been phenomenal Best conversation I've had in ages, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. We thank you too for being here. Um, and I hope you listeners out there enjoyed the insight that she provided because she provided Be a lot sure of insight. Did. So I yeah. hope y'all was it. I hope y'all was listening. <laughs> so we will just go ahead and close out this episode. Again, thank you all so much. Thank you, Rocky. Um, yeah. So we do have a website. Our website is bloompod.wixsite.com slash podcast if you want to learn more about us. In our extra section of our website, you can find the research and transcript for this episode. Our podcast guest form is in our episode section if you want to be on Forever Blooming like Rocky. And as well as our audience spotlight form where you can ask for advice to be featured in one of our episodes. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook all at Forever Bloom Pod or on TikTok at Forever Blooming Podcast. And you can even check Rocky out on her social media at Rocky Writes. And 
We also have an email, management at foreverbloompod.org. Let us know your thoughts, questions, and how we can improve the podcast because we love hearing from you. And be sure to check out our link tree in the description for easy, accessible links. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share with your friends if you enjoyed this episode. And lastly, have a great day, afternoon, or night whenever you're listening to this. Thanks for tuning in.